Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we got a really exciting episode. I'm sure you can tell by the title because it's already in it, but Greg Wyshynski from ESPN joins us uh, later on in the episode. We have that interview at the end. Uh, we just kind of talk about some stuff that we're excited to see this season. Uh, and Chase and I right now are going to go through some news and just some other stuff uh, um, you know, that, that, uh, have been going on in the league and things we, you know, we, we didn't get to with Greg, but that we might still want to see as well. And, uh, I think the biggest news is obviously that we got to go through here is Robin Leonard. Um, uh, he went on, I, I, I got to choose my words carefully here because I have stayed off of Twitter as I was telling you chase early before the podcast, because all of Sen's Twitter is just freaking Brady Kachuk talk right now, which, uh, is painful. I don't care to hear it until the season starts. Uh, not that it's not important, but at the same time, there's only so much you can hear of the same stuff over and over again. And the rest of the talk on Sense Twitter is preseason, which I care about even less. Um, so <laughs> the Robin Leonard situation, was it, it was Saturday night, I believe, that he, he went on a, a, a tirade of tweets. And I think it started about like Jack Eichel not being allowed to get his surgery in Buffalo. But then by the end of it, it completely switched to him like accusing teams of giving players pills in which he specifically named Alain Vigneault. And then he cycled back his comments in on Monday saying, no, I didn't actually mean to say he gives out pills. Um, just an absolutely wild situation here. I don't even know what to make of it, but you know, it, it see, he's definitely got people talking, which if that was his goal, then uh, mission complete, I guess. But you know, what do you, what do you make of this chase? Um, a lot of people, were really like enthusiastic about this and i think this was the kind of scenario that uh is not good no matter what happens because either laner was lying slash given false information in which case we just wasted a ton of time accusing people who didn't actually do anything wrong of doing uh, i'm pretty sure what he said they were doing is a crime or uh what he said was right, which has horrifying ramifications for the NHL. Yeah. And like, so here I have the thread here. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pronounce this drug, but is it common for workplaces to give out benzo diaphines? Diaphines? Something like that to employees when they travel and ambient. Uh, should that not be done by doctors or psychiatrists asking for a friend? Uh, this doesn't happen in Vegas, to be clear, but I know many other teams. I also been in on teams that do question mark. Hashtag Philadelphia Flyers question mark. Dinosaur coach treating people robots, not human. Fire these dinosaurs. Fire Vigneault, first story. I got a proof, dot, dot, dot. Try to shake your way out of this one. And they say Ambien is sleeping pill. It's funny that rehab told me that's why I didn't have REM sleep. Eight years, no REM sleep. Great. But yeah, just sleeping pills. Um just i don't know like i i don't want to speculate on anything or anything and uh, anything like that but um you know I, I will say the league's response to this hasn't been great either um alan walsh which i believe is leonard's actually no i don't even think it's leonard's agent because walsh is flurry right but he's been pretty active on twitter about this stuff um and you know and then i saw a tweet from walsh today gary bettman had a quote where he's talking he's like and he basically said, Leonard doesn't need to go on Twitter about this. They have a 1-800 number that he can call if he has issues. It's like, I'm not sure that's the best. Like, you're not really reading the room if you're saying, 
we have a random tip line that you can call that we're definitely going to do something about if you call it as your solution to this. But um, just not a great situation from all sides of things, you know? Yeah, exactly. And especially because um, whether it's true or not, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time uh, NHL front offices or sports front offices as a, in general have done something sketchy like this. So I think most people's prior is going to be to believe Leonard, which makes sense. Um, that means the league is like wronging players, at which point, why on earth would the player feel comfortable calling the league about it, right? Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it's an internal issue, so why would you keep it all internal? Like, there's just not really a, a reason that it would change. Yeah, exactly. Like, if and if it's true or not, Leonard believes it's true, that's all that matters in terms of going to the league or not. Like, why would you go to the league? Yeah, so um, I believe he had a press conference as we're speaking, to be honest. I think Freeman just tweeted that out, but um, there's not, you know, I, I don't have much more to say. It's clear that we had to kind of bring that up, but um, I, man, like, it's just, uh, it's going to be a situation to kind of monitor through the year, um, you know, and it's not like the league can do anything. Like, the league can't suspend him for having a Twitter account, right? So, nope. Uh, they're, I, I just hope this actually gets resolved. I don't know how likely it is we actually hear what happens as a result of this is the problem, though. Yeah, and I mean, like, to be fair, I don't know if we need to hear, but, like, there needs to be a resolution if that stuff is actually happening. Yeah, because the problem would be um, if, like, players' health's at stake, especially if they're taking uh, pills with negative side effects and stuff like it's not our business to know that but also i don't have enough faith in the league to just assume that something will have happened in the background yeah 100 agree um the other thing i had uh, other big piece big big piece of news that broke this week vancouver and we were actually talking about them later in this podcast but we didn't obviously discuss the contract extensions oh, vancouver God, got their guys done yeah elias Pettersson. Uh, and Quinn Hughes both signed contracts on the same day when it kind of sounded like uh, Pedersen was still ways out and then signs his bridge deal. Hughes goes six years, 7.885 per, so 47, just over 47 total. Uh, Pedersen goes three years, 7.35 per, just over 22 million total. Uh, so Pedersen gets that bridge deal. Hughes walks him really close to free agency. I think they have one year of RFA left maybe by the time this one's done, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what do you make of these deals, Chase? Um, with the Pedersen deal specifically, Jim Benning, the sins of the past finally caught up with him. I, the Hughes contract, like both of these deals came in above expectations, which would imply, uh, Benning kind of got beat in the negotiating table here, but given where he is and it's Jim Benning's fault for being where he is. I think this is realistically as good as you could have hoped for, given the situation like the day before these were signed or whatever. And again, it's Jim's Benning's fault that they were put in this scenario. But I think this is like the most, the best outcome all around. Okay, I lied, by the way. Hughes walks straight to UFA. Okay, never mind. That is bad. <laughs> 
<laughs> the, yeah, so six years takes him. I don't know if it eats a year or not. He's 21 right now, so he'll be 28-ish, I think, when it ends. But, yeah, UFA the best, at the end of 26-27. Okay, so the best outcome would be they are both RFAs at the end of these. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, I wouldn't... It's definitely better to have an RFA than a UFA. That being said, I wouldn't stress as much about... Like, I feel like sometimes teams make way too big of a deal of that. Like, the RFA is going to want to stay even if he's a UFA if your team doesn't suck nuts. You know, like... That's true. That is true. And especially... Like, if the Canucks are bad by the end of that Hughes contract, I guess he'd want out whether he's an RFA or a UFA. Yeah, like, if... Yeah, like... If, if he was a UFA at the end of the six-year deal and the Canucks still sucked and there was no hope in sight, he's just going to take a one-year deal and become an, a UFA the next year, right? Yeah, that's true. So, like, I, I feel like, some, especially with a big market like Vancouver, like, I know Ottawa, obviously, with their ownership, it's always a massive thing to keep them under RFA for as long as possible. And then, you know, you got to get them there because they won't sign them deep into their, or even their early 30s or anything. But, like, for, like, a team like Vancouver and, you know, even Toronto is the same kind of thing where it's like, if you have a competitive team, it probably doesn't make too much of a difference if their guys, a UFA a year before or not, like maybe it'll cost you an extra million or two or whatever. But like, even generally, like, it's not like these are disc, like this is a, even the Pedersen deal, it's a quote unquote bridge deal, but it's a very 2021 bridge deal where it's not like he took too much of a discount on AAV given what we've seen out of him. No. And the Pedersen deal, like, it worked out poorly because this is the kind of time where you can screw Pedersen into taking what will end up being like literally a top five contract in the league by getting him on a huge term. They forfeited the right to do that when they signed a whole bunch of terrible players and traded for guys like Oliver Ekman Larson taking a ton of money. That was just not going to be possible for them. But it does mitigate a little bit of risk because. Um, Pedersen has not driven play at an exactly like amazing rate, but the puck has gone in to an ins- at insane rates for him on the ice. So if the puck continues to go in at insane rates while Pedersen's on the ice, and he is like this generation sort of Steven Stamkos, Sidney Crosby le- level driver of on ice shooting percentage, which he seems plausibly uh, able to do at this point, you can just pay him $12 million after this and you're still happy with that deal. Like if Pedersen's as good as we think he is, his next contract will not be an overpayment, no matter what it is. No. And like this does mitigate some risk with injuries. Like it's not like, uh, Pedersen hasn't dealt with his deal of issues. You know, last year was basically a write-off because he had, you know, concussion issues. And even the first year he missed 11 games on the year before that he missed. Actually, no, I think he played most of the year in 2019-20 but you know the the size was always a question because you know he'd take hits and it's not like you need to be a six foot four monster or anything like that but when he came into the league his weight was a legitimate issue because you know he didn't weigh anything at all so it's not like he's been completely devoid of his own personal issues but yeah like I think uh, like if they would have signed him at an eight by eight that would have been the potential to have an absolute steal where now it's like best case scenario is yeah he's worth it he's more than worth it for the next three years and you just pay him his 12 million when it comes up or whatever yeah and then they're protected against the risk that um 
he is a good center, but he's not like that Matthews McKinnon level center, at which point you won't have to pay him quite as much at the bridge when this deal ends. Yeah. And, you know, with Quinn Hughes, uh, I, I think this does have the potential to be a contract that we look on really fondly. But, uh, you know, he's got to bounce back, too, because he didn't have a great year by by any standards last year. I, yeah, I think this is a really this is the more interesting of the two contracts, oddly enough, even though the the cap problems seem to have screwed them more in the Pedersen sense because they couldn't go long term but like Quinn Hughes was actively bad last year and they just gave him basically eight million a year for six years now with that being said which is more than he was projected to get based on his statistics uh, even still with that being said I think this is the kind of contract that's really smart if you're a GM because there's no way this isn't movable, even if Quinn Hughes is just so horrible defensively and such a bad play driver that ends up being like a negative EV contract on the ice. I think this contract will still be movable and probably with a huge return if you do decide to move on. You, th- you think this contract's movable? They just picked well, up like, what the, the they just picked up what the bad end of this contract could be. Eight With years Larson. older in Oliver Ekman Larson while yeah. giving up the ninth overall pick for it. Yeah, like this is, I think this is, this is yes. a no downside contract unless he gets hurt, but that's true of every contract. So he would have to be so bad for like three or four years for this to be completely unmovable. And even, but even Ristolainen did that and <laughs> he's still movable for first round picks. Yeah, even then, if he's got two years left at 7.8 and you retain $3 million or whatever, some team will absolutely be like, I can fix him. And I, I just like as bad as Quinn Hughes was last year, I, I really don't think he's going to be that bad this year. Like, I think it's a pretty safe bet that, you know, maybe he, he I mean, not maybe he's not going to be like McCarr level or anything like that. But if he's just like the 35th best defenseman in the league, that's a massive jump up from what he was last year. Oh, 100 percent. Now, the worry is the defense core around him did actually get worse. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, maybe his results won't actually get too much better. But like, again, this is a guy where I could see his rail numbers just being off the charts. Like, yeah, like Mark Stone on Ottawa and Eric Carlson on Ottawa level. Yeah. Like the classic, you know how the I think it was you brought up the stat of like since 2012 one defenseman on the ottawa senators has accumulated more war than the rest of the defense corps combined <laughs> yeah because it was it was carlson for all those years and then as soon as carlson stepped away it was shabbat that did it for a number of years uh yeah. that probably wouldn't be true this past year actually i think zub probably uh, zub would have broken and, and trend, yeah. even mike riley had had some as well so but um i i could see quinn hughes doing that on this defense corps like just like doubling up the rest of the combined goals above replacement or wins above replacement, the rest of these guys combined, because quite honestly, two through seven might be a negative goals above replacement. Yeah. There's a decent chance that Quinn Hughes is good. And that neg that defense score ends up with a negative goals above replacement because of how horrid the rest of it is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it'll be interesting to uh, watch over that. Um, we got a couple more minutes here. Do you want to go through a couple more topics we didn't, to get, didn't get to with Greg? Yeah, I'm in. All right. Uh, you hit me with a couple of yours. Okay. I had, I kind of wanted uh, to ask Greg this one as an outsider, but I figured if we only have him for 20 minutes, I should leave this one off because it's a little more niche for us who are pretty entrenched in the hockey stats community. So I've got six things written down and just the way forecasting human beings works One of these six players is going to be at least decent next year. 
And I guarantee it's going to start the next analytics debate about are we properly measuring context? My question for you and my thing to watch is who is the most likely player to start the, oh, does analytics really properly account for context debate? Because I've got Duncan Keith, Cody Ceci, Rasmus Ristolainen, OEL, and Seth Jones, all defensemen on the move, plus the Rangers doubling down on toughness, but the team might get better. Which one of these starts the next debate? Because you know it's coming. I think it continues the debate and Seth Jones. So yeah. I think that's already kind of what we've had the debate with over the past year and a half, two years with Seth, people kind of really giving Seth Jones a scapegoat because he plays in Columbus. Yeah, but he needs to be good for like whoever on this list needs to have a good season for it oh, to okay. start. Yeah. Because uh, mm-hmm. one of them is going to be at least decent and people are going to look at it and be like, wow, this proves that RAPM wasn't caught properly accounting for teammates. And then they're going to use it as fuel every time the result comes up that they don't like. Well, it's not going to be CC and Keith because they're playing together. Yeah, there's and cluster luck there. If Smith has like a 930, you... though, people <laughs> yes, might fall true. in love with them like Dion yeah. Phaneuf and Cody CC style. But that, that's also the same with Seth Jones. Seth Jones could be absolute cheeks and just have Marc-Andre Fleury throw up a 950 on ice save percentage. But but I don't know if you saw the early returns from the first preseason game yesterday from Keith and CC, but I've already seen six Oilers fans being like, what did we pay these guys for? And it is already starting a meltdown there. Um, I also saw, I can't remember, I think it may have been the Jack Hahn maybe, who said, uh, I think this team, uh, this pairing might actually set records for expected goals <laughs> against for 60. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think it'll be those two. I could see it being the Rangers. The Rangers forward, even though it'll be like the Panarins of the world, like all the Rangers big guys carry them to relevance. And people are like, this is why you got to sign Ryan Reeves. Yeah, Analytics like, can't account. Oh, and Barkley Goodrow. Analytics can't account for what they're uh, adding. Yeah. And like, because the thing about with like Ryan Reeves, too, it's not like he's a horrible player. Like he's a fine fourth liner. It's just the argument against him and like Barkley Goodrow is you don't need to like give a significant amount of your cap space to do that because you can find other guys to do it. Right. So, but like, I can absolutely see a scenario where that team is good and they're even fine. Like, I'm not saying they're going to be horrible or whatever, but it's like, like if Barkley Goudreau throws up 25, 30 points and it's just a fine, like on ice player, I can absolutely see people being like, Oh, see, this is why you absolutely have to invest in it. It's like, okay, well, like, but you don't need to invest in it at $3.6 million for seven years or whatever it was, six years, you know, like. Absolutely. I think they're the most likely of them. And the follows up with Seth Jones, because people love Jones so much that if he puts up like four points in the first five games, we're literally going to start the argument one week into the season. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah, he could throw up like just the most flukiest secondary power play assist. And people yeah, because like, Kane's going off on the broken. power play. Yeah, meanwhile, his five-on-five goal differential is like minus seven during that time. And everyone's like, no, it doesn't matter because he's got a point per game. It's like, okay. Yeah, because just – and so many guys with horrible numbers got moved this summer. You know, like, one of them's going to pop off, at least for a small period of time. And you know it's going to start the same old fucking debate again. I just can't wait to find out who it is. Yes, yeah, that's a very good one. Uh, Give me another one. Um, I have McDavid as a point here. So we've kind of talked about this before, but a lot of things people miss is like Sidney Crosby, best player in the NHL for like a 13 year period. 
But to my eye, there was really only that like 2010 to 2014 period where Sid was like slam dunk, best player in the world. Nobody else belongs in the conversation. You had guys like Ovi before that period and then like your Kopitars of the world and uh, Bergeron's and then McDavid obviously after that took it from them who were at least in the conversation and even had years where they were better. Uh, Like, are we entering a point where we're seeing that 2010 to 14 version of McDavid where nobody else even belongs in the conversation with him? Because last year I think was the first year that's been true. Yeah, I think we're absolutely there, especially if his defensive results stay like they did last year. That was the big thing to me. Yeah. Like they don't have to be good or great. Like they don't even have to be good. They just have to be very like not below average, not actively horrible. Yeah. Cause yeah. like going into last year, if you said, you know, Matthews on a little bit of a PDO bender has a higher war than McDavid, like that shouldn't have been surprising to anyone, but McDavid was so ridiculously good last year. Now going forward, I'm excited to see if this is like, the generational talent at the apex of his powers. Yeah. He put up like 10 more goals above replacement than the next player. And the next player was Jared McCann, which I'm going to go on a limb and say, it wasn't Jared McCann producing (laughs) all those goals above replacement, but like, yeah, like, and, and then the third place person was Patrice Bergeron. So it's like, if Bergeron takes a step back, Connor McDavid is still like 24 years old and could either take another step forward or even just stay at the godly tier he is. And it's like, yeah, it's going to the only way I think that it's even close is if somehow like Matthews takes another step forward. But like even Matthews, it's like, what could he possibly do to take another step forward to reach a McDavid level? Stay healthy. And one of his line mates shoots like 15 percent. So the assist numbers jack up. Yeah. But like and- Matthews would have to take a significant step in an area other than that, like he'd have to take a significant step in an area. He's already one of the best players in the world in to come close. Like I don't expect him to become a better shooter kind of thing. No. And like maybe like he becomes an unreal passer or something like that, but like he'd have to like literally, and, and, and this is, I'm not even talking about just straight goals above replacement too. I'm talking about like RAPM value and stuff. Like he would have to like, be in the nomination and rightfully so for like a Selkie while scoring at the pace that he is to be at like the McDavid level. Yeah. Which and is I, just like, I'm this, excited this not, to see that. Yes. And like, I, I think Matthews will absolutely be unreal. Like he was last year and has been for a number of years, but like, it's just crazy. Like th- this, I think Matthews is the second best player in the league. And like, this is the steps we're talking about. He needs to make just to catch, mcdavid at one so i absolutely think this is going to be the period of run where it's like yes it's, it's Connor mcdavid's league where everyone else is just living in it yeah which is awesome because there's something just uh so special about watching the generational talent at the height of his powers where it's like even if everything goes right for the next best guy they just can't touch this guy and i'm excited to see that and i hope that's what we get out of mcdavid this year and it probably will be yeah exactly um all right, I have one that's, I don't even know, it's just kind of a question that I have uh, that I'm curious to see too because I think it plays into the division. We've talked about their division so much and how aggressive it is, but I, I'm really curious to see if we can value how much Toronto got a bump from playing in the Canadian division. If there was any value there, like was there a boost? And if we're even going to be able to, you know, calculate something like that. 
Yeah, and, I had a more general point about this, but I'm really looking forward to that too. Yeah, and I'd love to hear your point too. So mine was, um, it was a general point about the divisional structure itself, but Toronto is obviously uh, the number one team to watch this year. Like if Toronto's actively bad, it's going to make this get relitigated to hell. And it was just because of the divisional play, like at, at the start of the year, we all produce our projections. And I'm excited to see, like, and you could use, like, market lines or, like, Dom's projections or something. And at the end of the year, there's going to be some correlation, decent correlation, between our preseason projections and uh, the end of the year. Because of the divisional structure, like, is this year going to be the least accurate in terms of forecasting of the past, like, 20 years? Yeah, I think that's a good question because, you know... I'll give you another team that, like, I'm not really sold on, but it just seems to be a given that they're making the playoffs. That's, like, the Minnesota Wild. Like, yep. I think, like, I don't think the West is very strong. We've talked about this at, at length, and, you know, we kind of discussed it a little later, too. But, but like, I don't think the West is great, which is why I kind of feel confident the Wild will make it. But, like, if they miss, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Yet, it's being penciled in that because they had a good season last year in an absolutely shit division, like, there were we knew that 14 like it was between them and Arizona and then Arizona started tanking seven games into the Caesar season so we knew that the what four teams were going to make the playoffs sure the wild made it a different bit of a different order than we expected but like like that's another one where it's just like people just automatically think they're uh in it's like well they got to beat the shit out of like the sharks the ducks the kings and the coyotes for how many ever games last year you know like and the Blues were way worse than we expected, too. Yeah, like, they weren't healthy. And, like, like I think the Blues should take probably rebound a little bit this year. So it's like, yeah, like, that that's another one where it's not just Toronto. Um, you know, Toronto is obviously the big name because they were so much better than everyone else in their division. But, like, it's I, – I definitely think that this could be a year where it's like we see some absolutely random results from some – teams and it goes and you know we kind of go oh why was that and you look at the division they were in last year go okay maybe maybe that's why you know and honestly i and it's not like sense fans are going to want to hear this but like people are like ottawa fans are really and the the mood switched lately because colin white just went out last uh last night actually but also Brittany kajak doesn't have a contract yet so the mood switched lately but like for four months this offseason the narrative from ottawa was they finished 10 2 and 2 or whatever in the regular season last year. So like, they're actually going to be good this year. It's like they were playing a bunch of teams that actively wanted to lose in the Canadian division or teams like Toronto that had first place. So wrapped up, it didn't mean anything for the past two and a half weeks, you know, like. Yeah. And they they still ended negative 33 goal differential. (laughs) Yeah. Like that, that 10. And it's like, we see that every year where it's like, how many years does Buffalo go on a mini run at the end of the year? And their fans go, no, no, no. Next year is going to be different. But like, especially this year in a division where the Canucks get absolutely destroyed by COVID. The Flames actively did not want to make the playoffs. And so did the Jets and Habs. Like, like none of those teams gave a damn by the end of the year. And Toronto had their place locked up by three weeks, you know, left in the season. So it was like, yeah, you went 10, two and two, but you went against some really bad teams and other ones that just frankly did not care. Yeah. Cause like, I don't think the Flames are like a train wreck of a hockey team or the Jets, but they sure played like it at the end of the year, at least. Yeah. And like, even like, I know you're lower on Vancouver than I am, but like Vancouver got ravaged by COVID last year. Yep. And, and injuries. 
Yeah, exactly. Both yeah, they weren't time. exactly like they weren't healthy to begin with, and then they had to. You know, they're basically using AHL team to end last year. So it's like, yeah, they're not like I don't think the Canucks are going to be a juggernaut or anything like that. But Ottawa took two or three wins against them, and like two or three against the Flames that were struggling at the same time too. It's like okay, like. I just don't think, you know, that's going to be the boost that they think it is. So I'm just genuinely curious to see if, you know, there's any way where we can quantify what the divisions meant. And, and even at the same time, like, you know, how many times we talked about last year where it's like, our coach is going to treat this as a playoff series when you play the same team three times in four days or whatever, or, you know, four times in a week and a half, that's not happening again this year. You're playing every team. So there's going to be a lot less game planning from a game to game standpoint, I think that goes into things. So I, I'm just genuinely curious to see, you know, how, how that stuff plays out too. Yeah, me too. Like it's, it's time we finally get to see a bunch of the second order effects from COVID and it's uh, like the division structures. And it's cool because I think a lot of the stuff's only going to be obvious in hindsight, but it'll be nice to actually figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, did you have another one? I had a couple more kind of random ones. One, speaking of uh, narratives and whatnot, we've been calling for like the Islanders regression going into the season for years. And now I think they're pretty much consensus division favorites. Like, I don't think pretty much anyone from any sort of train of thought argues that. Playoff they, favorites, at least. Yeah, like, do we finally see them fall off now that we've all bought into it? I Like, I could see it. Um, just because I think any given year they were kind of due for it. Uh, the one thing that I, I think their division kind of plays against it. Like, I don't know. Like, and we've talked about this a lot too, but like, I think, you know, the biggest reason I was so low on them past years is I still thought the Capitals were a solid team. I thought the Penguins were really good. The Hurricanes last year and two years ago, I thought should be like legitimate, like cup contenders, you know, um, that's not really the case anymore where it's like, obviously Pittsburgh, you know, Crosby should be near the start of the year, but Malkin's going to be out a couple months. Uh, Washington is just kind of getting older. Like, I think they're going to be fine, but like, they're not going to be dominant or anything. And Carolina had an off season for the ages and not in a good way either, you know? So it's like, I, I think that might stop where even if like, let's say the Islanders don't get as good of goaltending, which I think is very, very possible. They've been very lucky with goaltending at times in the past couple of years and some of that system based, but I think it's been so good. Some of it's just got to be like luck at some point too the division not being as good might be able to stop. Like if they drop like five points from last year because of goaltending, the division might give them two or three back just because teams are not as good last year too, you know? Yeah, that's a hundred percent fair. And I think that's where a lot of the optimism comes from. Cause like they came fourth in essentially this division last year and they're an old team that just got older. And now we're all like first in the division. <laughs> Yeah, like just kind of by default. Yeah, and I mean, like for me, I I think you know, um, I I think they have the highest floor to make the playoffs. Yes, I believe they have the highest floor in that division. Yeah, but like I don't like if they don't win the division, I wouldn't be shocked. Like I would just, I could almost expect. But like, I'm just (laughs) this just got sent in our group chat as we're recording. Here's the Penguins' workflow ahead of their last home preseason game tonight against Buffalo: Heinen, Carter, Rust, Zucker. Zahorna, Kapanen, McGinn, Bluger, Bjorkquist, Hollander, O'Connor, Angelo, 
Dumoulin Latang in brackets with Ricola rotating in, Pedersen Friedman in brackets with Joseph rotating in. This is probably supposed to be like their best lineup because you usually, usually the veterans play at home and like one of their last preseason games and like, that is disgusting, you know? Like, obviously, yeah. they're going to be better than that. They have Crosby, will probably be playing, you know, uh, close enough to it. Uh, Gensel will be in the lineup as well. But, like, yeah, like, it's just that kind of thing where it's like, I could see the Islanders regressing for sure. But at this point, I, I think that they've shown that they have enough, like, defensive talent that we almost can't even, like, quantify that they're going to be fine. Where, like, if they miss the playoffs, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked this year. But if they're a bottom three team, Barring like a Barzell injury or something, I would probably be pretty surprised. Yeah, they kind of remind me like um, Patri- of like the Patriots in a sense, like the the 2021 Patriots with Belichick, where it's like they don't really have the talent for like extreme upside in my opinion, but also like I can't imagine a world in which they're actively bad. Yes, I, I will say this is probably the first year they sneakily are going to have the most upside I think they've had in a while because they have Wallstrom and Dobson probably both playing this year. Yeah, that's true. They could actually make some noise for them. And then obviously Barzell still Barzell. Their goaltending but, will be really interesting. I know people love Mitch Korn, but like, and the system does do wonders for them, but like, if Mitch Korn was actually good enough to just guarantee 925 goaltending, he would literally be worth the salary cap, like the entire salary cap for just himself. Yeah, like if him and Barry Trotz together were worth that, they should be paid like $80 million. Yeah, like the Toronto Maple Leafs are a team that could afford that, would literally pay them $80 million, and it would be a worthy investment if that was their true talent. Yeah, and like, it's just so... Yeah, like I don't know. It's so strange too because it's like I, I think you think about it. It's like oh, well, you look at Varlamov. And I'm looking at like obviously save percentage is not um, the whole story by any means, but he goes 927 and 1314 with Colorado, 921, 914. Then in 16, 17 he has an 898, and then in 17, 18 he bounces back to a 920, and then he has one more bad year at 909. Well, like average year at 909. And then goes 914 with the Islanders, 929 with the Islanders. Like, obviously the 929 is him playing above average. But, like, him being a 914 goalie, I guess shouldn't have been that shocking considering that's kind of his career average, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right around what you could expect. And it's right around league average for a guy who was kind of thought of as good but not insane. So that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, but and but it'll be interesting to see what Sorokin can do as well, because obviously he's been hyped up. But like, yeah, like I could see the goaltending, you know, one of these years actually, you know, um, letting them down instead of propping them up, which it feels like um, I, I, I still just don't know how much that would matter in terms of like, would it absolutely sewer them to the point where they're a bottom three, five team or would it sewer them to the point where they miss playoffs by seven points and pick 11th overall or whatever? Yeah, I think it'd be more the 11th overall pick thing, because if the goaltending does sewer them, it will be in that Dubnik sort of sense where he's got like a 9-10, but is actually the worst goalie in the league kind of thing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, give me your last one, then we'll get out of here. Uh, my last one, we talked about this bunch over the the offseason, but uh, it looks like people are starting 
to write off some of the old guard, Pittsburgh, Washington, and Boston. And it is going to happen eventually. Is this the year? And for who is it most likely to be the year? And who, because one of them probably, one of the three will probably finally fall off this year. It's just a question of who. Yeah, it's, it's tough because again, like, I guess it depends how much is falling off. Like, Boston becoming the fourth or fifth best team in the Atlantic and just making the playoffs would probably be considered falling off pretty aggressively, right? Yeah, yeah, like if Boston's eighth in the East, I'd say that's falling off. Yeah, like, I, it's tough because I could kind of see it happen for any team, but we know year after year it doesn't. Yeah, like, like, on paper, the Capitals missing the playoffs shouldn't surprise anyone at this point, given the age of all those guys. But, but they're like, the one I want to bet on the floor least. me. Yeah, if yeah. they actually miss the playoffs, even though looking at their roster, like if we had a perfect war model, uh, the collection of the the talent on that roster missing the playoffs should not surprise anyone. And yet even like the biggest stats people on earth, I think would be really shocked if they missed. Yeah. And like out of these three teams, they're almost the one I want to bet on the least because they have nothing wrong with them. It's just the same what we think see as mediocre roster going into the year again, that just casually wins the division year after year, after year, after year, you know, like with Pittsburgh, my biggest concern is health. Like I I think it doesn't come back healthy. Pittsburgh's going to look really human. Yes. And so that's the biggest thing with me where it's like, I think if Malkin and Crosby both come back healthy, I still think that they're a team that, you know, maybe they're not quite as like a, a cup favorite like they were even two or three years ago, but like they're still probably top three in this division, have a good chance to win around, maybe even two, given how just mediocre this division is, right? But like either one of them going down or like Latang not being unreal is going to spell problems. And like as great as they are, the, the three guys are 35, 34, and 34 that we just mentioned. And it's not like they've been healthy their entire career. All three of those guys have deal with significant injuries, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. It, it pains me to say it. I think they're the most likely though, to finally like of the team, these guys to miss the playoffs. I think so too. Cause like, I don't love the Boston roster, but like, there's just been no suggestion that Marshan and Bergeron are going to slow down. And like, obviously we can't always tell that coming. Sometimes you just don't see it, but like, like if they, like if, Malkin came back and was just not great this year because he was still injured. That would surprise me way less than Patrice Bergeron being a three C or whatever. Yeah. Boston's roster is also marginally younger. Yeah. And even just like, like Pittsburgh doesn't have a Taylor hall. Yeah. Or even close. And instead of uh, Latang who's injured all the time in 34, Boston's has Charlie McAvoy. Exactly. It's like, yeah, I don't love the rest of Boston's decor, but like, it's still, it's not like it's that much worse than the rest of Pittsburgh's decor either, right? Like, it's worse, but it's not like it's like an absolutely aggressive step back. Yeah, and like Pittsburgh's decor is such that it has to be uh, deployed really carefully to be effective. And I don't know how confident we should be that it's going to be deployed perfectly. Yeah, and then even in that, like, I'm lower than most on Linus Olmark, but I think Olmark and Swayman should be a fine duo, whereas, like, Tristan Jari's been so up and down as well that it's like, how much do you, do you trust that? So, like, I, I think I would probably bet on Pittsburgh first, 
my head tells like my head tells me Washington, but my heart tells me Pittsburgh. I completely agree. So, but it'll be interesting, like, because you, you really do have to ask, how many more freaking years of this can it be where it's like, no, they're just casually gonna be top two, top three in their division, win around, and and just plug on like everything's okay. Yeah, because like it is going to happen. It it's always just, does. It's just, it just when. Like yeah. time is undefeated, but. I mean, we've been calling for the Washington one since, like, the year they won the Cup, I think. At least, like, I'd say the year after, maybe, but even the year they won the Cup, it went from, like, yeah, like, definitely Cup favorites to, like, oh, this team is going to be, like, third in their division and probably lose in the first or second round again. Yeah. But, yeah, like, it's, and even, like, the Boston one, I feel like we've been calling for that since, like, well, like, in 2015, 16. To be fair, in 15, if you called it, you would have been right. (laughs) Yeah, and then in 2017, even, they got put out by Ottawa in the first round, and it was like that 2015 to 17, they did a mini rebuild, and then they were yeah. like, no, 2019, we're going to go back to the, the cup final, and 2018, they had a good roster as well. 2020, they were like good. Like They kind of did the, a little rebound, and picking up like the McAvoy's really helped, but, uh, and you know, it was just kind of like Marshawn suddenly becoming a point-per-game player, and then picking up McAvoy and Pasta full-time, you know, like... Yeah, exactly, because it's so rare. I guess San Jose kind of did it, what Boston did, but San Jose petered out a lot quicker. Yeah, which San Jose is absolutely ass now, you know? like. Yeah, and they, they had their mini-rebuild like one or two years before. Yeah, I, I will say, though, San Jose also kind of absolutely sewered their cap sheet, which I think led to that a lot quicker than Boston. Like, even if yes. Bergeron falls off a cliff this year, it's really not the end of the world because, A, he makes under $7 million, and, B, that contract doesn't go on for too, too much longer where it's really an issue, you know? Like, if you have to rebuild, it could be another couple years where, and then they're like, okay, we're back to being okay for after two years of drafting. Oh, yeah, they're because Bergeron's up at a UFA after this year. Their cap sheet is arranged, like, even if Marshawn never plays another game in the NHL. It's not the end of the, like, obviously it would suck. It would slam their contending window pretty quickly, but that's not the end of the world in a long-term perspective. No, not at all. Like it's, yeah. Like so it's they're, not they're a definitely... nail in the coffin the way the Carlson and Burns contract blowing up was for San Jose. Yeah. Or like even like how Last the Dowdy and Kopitar ones might be in LA, you know, where yeah. those are going to be a burden when they have to go resign this new core we're, you know, getting excited about. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think that's all I got, unless you got anything else. Yeah, me too. All right, we will throw it to our interview with Greg Wyshynski then. Uh, I hope everyone enjoys, and we'll talk to you after. Joining us now, he is the senior NHL writer at ESPN.com. He is also the co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. It's the one and only Greg Wyshynski. Greg, thank you for so much for joining us today. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me. I, I, I appreciate it. Um, and uh, I'm happy that it's hockey season, and I'm happy that uh, ESPN has hockey seasons. That these are all good things. Yes, absolutely. I say I'm sure this is going to be a very different year for you with uh, ESPN getting a bunch of games, and I, I believe the playoffs are on ESPN this year as well. They alternate, right? Um, so that that's always exciting. And uh, what better time to get into just stuff we're looking forward to the season? Uh, then right now, you know, we're about uh, a week out from the regular season actually beginning, and there's a bunch of storylines to to talk about. And 
Um, no, we'll, we'll just get right underway. And I think the first thing that I had written down and I thought it was fitting for you uh, growing up a New Jersey Devils fan was, uh, can this be the year the Devils finally take a step forward? They've obviously had yeah. a had a massive offseason. They brought in Dougie Hamilton. But more than that, you know, I know Chase and I are pretty high on uh, both Hughes and Hishier or, you know, higher than others have been. Uh, what do you expect from the Devils this year? Don't forget my boy Yegor on the wing, too, uh, eating up those Jack Hughes passes. You know, they're an interesting team. Uh, I've seen some analytic models that certainly have rated them higher than I would in that division, as high as third, which would make them a playoff team this season. Um, I hesitate a little bit. I still feel like they're a year away uh, from where they want to be. But there's no question that they're going to have improved goaltending with Jonathan Bernier there playing uh, the the games that Mackenzie Blackwood can't uh, because (laughs) he's unvaccinated. Um, and then obviously the, the Dougie Hamilton effect is the big, the big X factor for this team. I mean, you know, you bring a guy like him on that's able to generate the amount of shots that he generates, it's able to generate the amount of offense that he generates, um, five on five. I mean, I mean, I've been dreaming of outlet passes from Dougie Hamilton to a, a, a flying Jack Hughes into the zone for the last few months. And then, you know, his presence on the power play is going to make that thing worth a damn in a way that it certainly wasn't last season. My hesitation is that they're young in a lot of places. My hesitation is that they're not, they don't have the quality depth that I think they, they even had maybe two years ago. Um, and my hesitation is that uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wacky division, um, which may play into their hands. Uh, but you have a lot of teams that I think are a little bit more seasoned uh, that might be just a, a shade better. But they're, they're clearly pointed in the right direction um, and, uh, and getting there. And the Dougie, I love the Dougie Hamilton move because it's kind of reminds me of when the Rangers signed Panarin. Like they weren't ready for Panarin. Like they weren't a playoff team. They were still very much in a rebuild. But they knew that when they were ready, he wouldn't be there to sign. And I feel I feel like the Devils kind of did the same thing here, where there might there, the, the 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 timeline of Dougie Hamilton, the timeline of the New Jersey Devils rebuild, they're not in sync. But they knew that come next season, maybe or next summer, he wasn't going to be there. So you might as well just get him in now. And I, and I kind of, I like that move for teams that are rebuilding. Yeah, I think, you know, Chase and I did our uh, season preview for this division two or three weeks ago. And we both, I think, had them, I don't know exactly where we had them ranked, but we had them kind of in the middle of this division because it's uh, uh, just kind of a shit show, really, to uh, put it lightly. Like, hey, it feels like this could be the year. And I mean, granted, we say this every year about the Pens and, and the capitals, but it feels like this is the year like where they, they might not be the clear one and two in this division where there's four five or even six teams that are going to be competing for a playoff, uh, you know, playoff spot. And I think you can even include the flyers maybe bouncing back there as well. Uh, Chase, you know, what are you, what are you expecting from the devils this year? Is there anyone you're expecting to stand out? That's uh, maybe not as the obvious candidates either. Um, unfortunately this one isn't too flashy, but like, I mostly agree with everything Greg said, feels like a lot of the hype might be a year too early, but on the bright side, and I don't particularly love their depth still, even though I really like the Thomas Tatar signing, but if this, they are going to take a step, I think it's going to be on the back of Jack Hughes being like a top 10 center or top 10, maybe 20 forward in the league. And he hasn't been yet. But of the guys who could make that step, I think Jack Hughes is literally the most likely player in the entire league 
who has yet to be an elite player who to take that step into the elite tier. So I'm really excited to see Jack Hughes this year, especially with Dougie Hamilton feeding him those outlet passes. See if he puts it all together and we're looking at it next year being like, wow, this guy's like a perennial 80 point uh, top tier centerman. Yeah, I, I, say I, I don't disagree. I think, you know, I, I've, also, I've discussed that with you on and off the air. Um, I, I think that'll be have, have to be the way they take the step forward because, as you mentioned, yeah, it's not like their uh, their depth isn't exactly jumping off the page. I think it's better than it has been in uh, a, quite a while, but that was also a pretty low bar in general to step over. Um, Chase, do you want to go with whatever you had written down first? Uh, yeah, I had one kind of specifically for Greg, actually. It works out well that you're on here, if I remember the old Dave Lozo Puck Soup episodes correctly. <laughs> uh, so you can stop me if I'm putting words in your mouth here. But oh, Jesus. Uh, I just have a question about Seattle. The obvious parallel is with Vegas. And if I remember correctly at the time, something you talked about a lot with Vegas was uh, the sort of off-ice component that the stats, people like me, tended to kind of brush off or whatever. And that they all really bought in with the whole, they're the outcast mentality. And as a result, they were able to get more out of that team because of the chemistry that was brought together through that. Do you think that's a repeatable skill in Seattle? Or do you think it was kind of a one and done thing with Vegas? I think it was a one and done thing. Um, if only because it just seemed like there was so much more tension uh, around the exposure of some of the players that were on that team. I mean, I don't think that there was a guy on the Seattle expansion roster that was like James Neal, who was like cast aside by Nashville and he was all pissed off and stuff and surly and flurry, you know, and the way that whole thing worked out in Pittsburgh where they, they choose Murray over him. And there wasn't a whole lot of that kind of like angstiness, I think surrounding some of the players that were available to Seattle. I think a lot of teams kind of figured their stuff out and avoided those types of situations. Or if they didn't, those guys just didn't end up getting selected by, by Seattle. But the other off-ice thing with Vegas that is um, hopefully not repeatable in Seattle is the fact that that team forged a bond together and with that city because of the tragedy of the shooting on the strip. And, and I know that, like, I get yelled at sometimes for, for being the narrative guy or the guy who, like, is, you know, talking about, you know, like, you need heart and a lot of crap. And, 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 and maybe sometimes I am a little writerly in, in buying into that more than I should. But in this case, like, it's, it's simply talking to those guys and hearing what impact that had in the early maturation of that team. I mean, you, you talk about, like, that band of brothers cliche, like they were throwing around that locker room in the sense that, you know, they were playing for the city and they knew the city almost needed them. And, you know, they were making appearances at firehouses and, and shit like that. And, and so I, I think, you know, that was a huge contributor to their first season success in a way that none of us could have really anticipated. And, uh, you know, again, thankfully, I don't think that the same sort of situation is going to uh, happen to the Seattle Kraken in their first year. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And hopefully we can avoid that. The uh, the one guy who would be cast aside, I think, would maybe be Giordano. That was the only guy I could really think of. But you're right. The list is a lot shorter this time. 
Yeah, I mean, like, you even take a guy like Yanni Gord. I mean, you know, that guy obviously would, would love to be in campus still and, and go for the three-peat. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think that they all intrinsically knew that they were living on borrowed time as far as the cap situation there. Or they needed, like, you know, a guy to go on a shelf for a year just to keep the team together. Um, so maybe he's a little pissed off it's not Kalorn that went or something like that. But but overall, I just don't think it's the same type of situations. I don't, I'm not, I've been trying to think of, like, who the Jonathan Marcheseau on that team is that is just going to be like so filled with anger. that <laughs> He just wants to like take over the league because he felt so, you know, insulted by the teams that got rid of him. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that that guy's there, but I think it just speaks to the difference in, in tone and tenor uh, of those two franchises. Hey, I've been told Jared McCann's going to be point per game this year, baby. So you watch out right there. That That's the name. I, I, I do also wonder if, you know, kind of the narrative around this team and versus what Vegas was will play into that too, where, you know, I don't think anyone's really expecting this team to be absolutely atrocious. You know, uh, part of that's the money they threw around. I, I think that, you know, when you go out and sign Adam Larson, Jamie Alexiak, uh, obviously Giordano's on that team up front, they, they threw money at Jane Schwartz and then in net Philip Grubauer as well. Like this team isn't expected to be, you know, I don't think they're expected to be great, but given the week the division they're in and just the fact that they just got a bunch of guys that are pretty responsible defensively, like I think most people are kind of assuming this is going to be a team that's, uh, you know, relatively competitive. And then you mix in with just how freaking bad Buffalo and Arizona look like they're going to be this year. I don't think anyone really is suggesting they're going to be a bottom two team versus like Vegas. You know, you already had the castaway thing. On top of that, you had everyone going into that year like, this team is going to be absolutely horrible. You know, like I, I bet you the, the amount of projections that had them in the bottom two, bottom three teams, like I bet you it was over 50% of the people who were projecting it. And, you know, I, I just don't really feel like that's the same narrative around this team, but you know, maybe that's only with the people I've talked to. Yeah. And like you said, part of that's Vegas, like Vegas, we had to all get rewired on what an expansion team was because one of the reasons why we all underrated them was we were thinking about how, shittacular the blue jackets were and you know like uh the thrashers and all these other teams that came to the league because they had a certain set of expansion draft rules that vegas didn't have it's kind of funny how like 550 million dollars can kind of buy you a better expansion draft um and so like once we saw what vegas ended up being yeah i don't think we're all expecting the kraken to like make a push for the Stanley Cup in their first season, but they, they sure aren't going to be, you know, bottom of the division, um, you know, despite some deficiencies at center. Uh, they're they're pretty stacked and, and, and stacked in a division that does have teams that I think are clearly inferior in, uh, well, all of California <laughs> at this point. Unless, unless the Kings punch above their weight, it's all of California that's behind the, the Kraken right now. Yeah, and I mean, even, I don't think the Canadian teams in that division are... They're not juggernauts by any means either. I mean, up the middle, obviously, uh, they look a lot better in Edmonton and Vancouver. And Vancouver is actually kind of where I wanted to go next because uh, I feel like I'm a little higher on them heading into this uh, this season than maybe some are. Uh, I don't think they had a good offseason by any any stretch of the mean. The, the OEL trade, I think, will prove to be a disaster long term just in terms of cap wise. But uh, in terms of this actual year, like. I think the biggest thing I'm kind of putting money on is a Hughes and Pedersen bounce back season to, to just kind of rebound them from, you know, how low they were in that Canadian division last year. Uh, what are your thoughts on Vancouver heading into the year? Yeah, I wanted to be good. <laughs> like, like life's more exciting when they're good. 
we've got so many people that I enjoy watching and that I want to be in the spotlight, you know, like who wouldn't want Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes to be some of the faces of the league and playing in games that really matter. And, you know, um, the thing that gives me pause though with them is that back end, like I, you know, Ekman Larson accepted, uh, it's not a very good defense core beyond him and Hughes. And, um, that, that makes me a little bit worried. I know they cleared out a lot of dead weight in the, uh, the bottom six, but I'm not really sure if what's there is like all that much better. I love their top two lines. Um, but beyond that, I, I wonder exactly how they're going to be and it. It does kind of seem like a team that's teetering towards like coaching change territory, you know, like the days of Travis Green are, are growing long. But then it may just be a situation where it's entering into GM replacement territory if things uh, don't work out for them this season. But they're to me, they're the, they're the team you can't really figure. Like Vegas is obviously going to be great. We've seen Leon and Connor like drag that team into the playoffs in, in various iterations of, of being mediocre. And so I think at this point, we just have to assume they're going to be a playoff team based on what those two guys will do. Um, Calgary is the definition of average. I think it's hilarious. Daryl Sutter was 15 and 15 last year's last season after taking <laughs> over that team. I mean, I was like, that's exactly what I, you know, I'd expect them to be. And they're going to be like a one line team with, what I assume is going to be improved defense with, with Sutter getting his fingerprints on that roster for a full season. But beyond that, I mean, it's, it's anybody's guess how they're going to react to the loss of Giordano and, and you know, what they're going to be depth-wise. Um, and then, you know, the Kraken, I think, are going to be good. And then Vancouver is that team, much like Flyers and the Rangers, I think, in the Metro, where they could be really, really good or they could be kind of bad and um and i'm not quite sure which way that door is going to swing yet like i'm confident that they're better than the sharks i'm confident they're better than the ducks i think they're better than the kings i still think the kings are a year away but are they going to be good enough to leapfrog one of the alberta teams for a playoff spot or finish ahead of of seattle and then the other question is like does it even matter like the central division is so good that it, it may be a situation where you have to finish in the top three in the Pacific in order to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. I just say Chase and I have gone through all four divisions here over the past couple of weeks and looked, and, um, you know, it would shock me, you know, if the five central teams make the playoffs. I think, uh, you know, they, they have some – they definitely have questions with them as well. You know, you look at Dallas, it's just – keeps getting older and older. Uh, the Hawks obviously brought in a bunch of, uh, of players, but how much of a jump will it make? But yeah, like it'll definitely be an interesting uh, race for the playoff spots in that uh, Pacific and even central division. And um, just seeing how top heavy those divisions are, I don't know if it'll even matter who sneaks in at uh, seven and eight, but yeah, it's the central's fun. Like, I, you know, Colorado's in, uh, I love Winnipeg a lot. Um, like Derek Horst, Cup kind of way, but I don't think that they'll be good enough to make it there. Um, but I like them a lot, and uh, and then Minnesota, I think, obviously has turned the corner with with Kaprizov there. Uh, the Blues, I think, will be better this year, um, and I think we've seen that Bennington is quite good as a regular season goalie, not so much in the playoffs. Uh, so that's four, you know. And then like if Dallas is is right there with them, um, and Nashville is whatever, like. You, you go to that Chicago situation and you wonder, all right, 
do they have a lane? You know, if if Flurry can somehow stabilize a, a horrible defensive team, and you know the return of of Taves like energizes the offense. I mean, I, you know, I've been trying to figure out a way to get Chicago <laughs> into the playoff mix because I think it'd be fun. They're a huge market, and I like the whole idea of Flurry coming in there and riding to the rescue and goal, and Taves coming back and getting the team for like one last ride kind of situation, but. I just don't think it happens. Uh, there's too many teams in front of them that they have the leapfrog that are better than them. Chase, do you got another one? For uh, another storyline? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested, and this is the first time in my entire life that this has ever been true, to see the Florida Panthers play this year. <laughs> I counted before the show. And I think Florida got either huge upgrades or straight-up career years out of eight guys last year. Like, I I don't know how to project that because clearly there's something that works systemically. But, like, are the Florida Panthers uh, repeatedly good, basically, is my, my big question. I think they are offensively. Um, I also think that they lead the NHL in guys named Sam. So that's good. <laughs> that's a stat you want to have. Um, and they're only going to be better now that, you know, they've got, they've got Reinhardt there. Um, two, and they got a very good Sam there. Yeah. They've got two, they've got two, well, one really good Sam. And then the other Sam we assume will be maybe like 75% of what he was last year. Like he was incredibly good last year. Um, you know, th- that addition is going to let them move some guys down the lineup a little bit, create a little bit of better balance. They already have some really good forwards there too, down the lineup. So offensively, I think that team is going to be as good. Uh, they're a, a run-and-gun fun team, and having Ekblad back for a full year um, after the injury, I think, is going to only make them even better. The, the, the question mark is obviously in goal, where you have Sergei Bobrovsky making incremental improvements in his game, but being nowhere near as good as he was in his Desna years. And then you have like the ultimate wild card this year, which is Spencer Knight. I mean, a, a, a player who looked every bit as good as advertised in limited time last season is in a situation where he's in a tandem with a goalie making like 10 times what he makes. So can you steal that job? Uh, I don't know. And then, you know, like, what does he look like now that everybody gets maybe a second look at him through, through the league? I mean, is he still going to be as good as he looked last season? Um, if the answer is yes. And, and, and then Bobrovsky gets a little bit better, um, for the third straight season, I mean, this could be a division champion w- without a second thought. I mean, they're they're quite good, um, and it's exciting to see. It kind of, su- I mean, it's exciting to see, but at the same time, they're Florida, right? So, like, if you had a team that scored as much <laughs> as they did last year and had as many good players as they have last year, you'd expect that team to be like on everybody's lips. And yet, if you t- asked people, like, was Florida a top, you know, five offensive team last year, they'd be like, who? You know, and it sucks, but but they're fun to watch. And I hope, you know, actually, you know, what my hope is my hope is that enough people tuned into that game one against Tampa to know that this team can yeah. absolutely bring the entertainment quality because that game was probably the best game of the last two years uh, that I saw. Yeah, definitely. And especially it just it helped that that felt like one of the first times we really got to see like even close to like a packed barn, if I remember correctly, even if it wasn't, you know, completely full, it was just loud in there too. Um, you know, and the other thing I think about Florida, um, 
is, uh, you know, I, I think that they did a good job going out and understanding that not everyone is just going to have repeat a career year. Um, you know, I think some of that comes naturally about getting Ekblad back. Obviously, it was unfortunate he went down. Um, but, you know, bringing in Sam Reinhardt, I think, is massive because then even if someone like Anthony Duclair or Carter Verhage takes a step back, the projection that Sam Reinhardt has should help cover some of that up. But, um, you know, the, the other thing, too, is I feel like a, a bunch of people, just because of obviously Tampa going to the cup and winning it again, people forget that uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning did not have home ice advantage in round one or two of last year's playoffs. Yeah, but I mean, that's, I think, a function of not having, you know, yeah, and missing the one of the best wingers in the league definitely yeah. uh, is definitely a big but part of that. Are, are the one I'm struggling with is I have to start making these picks because I, I you know, every other contender has a major flaw um, or, or something that gives me pause. And and Tampa's on that list. I mean, I, I, I genuinely wonder if if they're going to be able to ever recreate the magic of the checking line that they lost last last offseason. I mean, with Gord going to Seattle and, and Coleman going to Calgary and Kudrow going to New York. I mean, that line, if you were to ask me for five reasons why the Lightning won back-to-back cups, that line's in the top five. Uh, uh, and, and uh, like, along with names like Vasilevsky, Hedman, Point, and Kudrow. Like, like, that's one of the reasons they won, and a, and a primary reason they won. And I don't think you can create, recreate the effectiveness of that line. Um, so that gives me pause, but what doesn't is that like no one else has this core, and uh, you know, like yeah. Vasilevsky and Hedman and Kucherov and Stamkos and Point, Sorelli, Palat, Kalorn, all these fuckers are back. Like, it's hard for me to say that we're not going to see a three-peat when the bones of this team are so good, and they didn't have to play eighty-two games in either of the years they won the cup. So, like. I always try to be a little contrarian with the cup pick. I think the Leafs last year, for God's sake. But <laughs> I'm starting to think it might be, not be contrarian to say that we're going to see a three-peat. And, you know, I wish that wasn't the case because I'd, I'd love to pick them. Um, and I might still do it. But, like, I, I just find it to be extraordinarily fascinating, like, how good this team still is. And, like, who's better than them? Like, like, like Colorado? I think gotta... Colorado would be favored on like a neutral ice service. And sure, that is literally it. It'd be favored, but like they gutted their, their forward depth. I mean, not gutted, but saw it skate away, including Belmare, who's now on the lightning. Like Vegas um, is, is Vegas. But at the end of the day, like, do they have a point? Do they have a, you know, a, a center of that or Stamkos, a center of that ilk on that roster? Of course they don't. So like, I still come back to Tampa and say to myself, is this team going to have a three-peat? Because I'm not sure, outside of, of the grind of like playoff hockey and playing so much of it, catching up with them, I don't think there's another team in this league that's as good as Tampa right now. Yeah, and I think like just last year, the way they did it too is just like the best way to explain it. It's like, oh yeah, we were missing Kucherov, which is a top three winger in the league. And then even like Hedman was playing injured clearly into the end of the year. And it just didn't matter because... Kucherov just stepped right back in the playoffs, was absolutely dominant. Point was dominant. You know, uh, Vasilevsky has the, what is it, five straight shutouts in elimination games or something stupid like that now? Like, it just, it's just row after row of of guys that they have that it just absolutely does not matter. And I I think it's, 
it's why it's yeah even while they missed like a mat like they lost a a third line that was crucial to their success i'm not going to blame anyone if they pick for a three-peat this year it's also like that's the part that that bugs me because they 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 could throw that line against anybody's top line and not only shut down the top line but also get major offensive contributions from guys like coleman and goudreau and and that is something that was a luxury I'm not saying it's going to torpedo their chances, but I, I find it to be really. I, I I watched a lot of that team in the last few years, and boy, did they get a lot of that out of that line that they put together. It really kind of like strapped the rocket to their back as a contender and got them over the hump. True. That being said, though, it's Tampa, and like I just clicked on this Alex Barry Boulette guy. It looks like he massacred the QMJHL and then also put up over a point per game in the AHL. Like, how shocked are we all going to be if Tampa just finds two or three random guys that are putting up like 40 point seasons well, on their third line? Don't forget the guy who scored their like cup winning goal was Ross Colton, who I yeah. don't think I had ever <laughs> exactly. heard of before that game. Yeah. yeah. The most Tampa Bay thing in the world. Yeah. Like, watch, he'll just be, like, the best best third liner in the league or something because the Tampa Bay Lightning just seem to have waves and waves and waves of players. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. Uh, we'll, we'll get you out of there with that. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Greg. Uh, I think I speak for both Chase and I when uh, we say we're really excited to see what uh, this year has in store for you and, and ESPN. Uh, I know we don't uh, watch as much of it up here in Canada, but that being said, it's still excited to see the change. Well, that's very sweet of you, and I'm excited too. Uh, it's it's obviously like you know we're throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. I'm going to see what sticks in year one, and you know I I, I can tell you that I'm I'm really excited for people to see like how we're going to present the game starting on uh, opening night with uh, they got the Lightning and Penguins, and then they got the Kraken and the Knights after that, and uh, it's just going to be super cool. Like it, it's a it's a huge opportunity for us to do some interesting things, and and obviously like you know. It's always good when your company starts <laughs> putting a giant spotlight on on the things that you've been doing for like the last four years too. So it's it's very cool for for me too. Absolutely, I uh, keep up the great work, and we'll absolutely have to have you on again down the road. Pete, thanks, boys. Huge thanks to Greg for joining us. Uh, I mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. I speak for both Chase and I when we say uh, we had a blast recording this one. Uh, Greg is a great guy, and uh, if you haven't checked out his work, definitely go do so uh, at Greg Wyshyn, or at Wyshynski on Twitter, uh, and you can find him all over ESPN as well. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Chase and I will be keeping going with the weekly podcast as the season gets going here is the plan. We're super excited, as I'm sure everyone else is. Uh, if there's anything you want to hear throughout the season, again, let us know. We're always interested in uh, figuring out what people want to hear. And, and if there's any other guests you want to listen to, uh, again, give us their names and we'll do our best to try and get them on. So uh, thank you so much for Greg for joining. And thank you, everyone, so much for listening. As always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com, myhighhockey.com. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff, Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. I hope everyone has a great week and we will talk to you all next week.